0: The following podcast contains spoilers and words such as "done" and b*****h.
1: Mate, did we watch A Thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello everybody and welcome to We Watched A Thing. I'm B-Dizzle, I'm here with my friend Toph, as you can see. How you doing, buddy? I'm fine. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm absolutely exceptional. That's very good. <laughs> um, what have you been up to, bud? Nothing, mate. You? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely You're nothing. Glad we got that out of the way. <laughs> what are we talking about this week, though?
0: Well, given the um, the lack of fresh options that isn't just two hours of Chris Hemsworth firing a gun on Netflix, um, <laughs> one of our dear patrons suggested we throw it into reverse and do LA Confidential, which I thought was a good idea.
1: Yeah, we were going to do Extraction, which is like the only new release this week, but you watched it and did not care for it. Is that right? Look, it is what it is. It succeeds in being two hours of people shooting guns. Does Hemsworth get his muscles out, though? Like, did that get you going a little bit? I mean, I'm only human. (laughs) All right. LA Confidential is a 1997 American neo-noir crime film directed, produced and co-written by Curtis Hanson. Screenplay by Hanson and Brian Helglund is based on James Elroy's 1990 novel of the same name the third book in his LA Quartet series it stars Kevin Spacey Russell Crowe Guy Pearce James Cromwell David Stethan Kim Basinger and Danny DeVito and what is it about Toph?
0: it's about a couple of things billy
1: <laughs> it's
0: about life isn't it mate yeah. <laughs> it's about some corrupt cops and some good cops it's about um it's about self-reflection it's about reflection of the hero
1: as mm. we know it that's very deep thank you <laughs> but mostly it's about guy pierce just being amazing Dear god what a handsome man oh, isn't he a devil be honest is, we had a we had a couple of suggestions from patrons was guy pierce at least a little bit of the reason that you you decided on LA confidential we're on a little bit of a guy pierce bender <laughs> yeah. um, and i'm into it yeah this is—I mean—he's—he's he's amazing in everything he does. Honestly, it's amazing he got cast in this movie because he was not a big name at the time. This was, this was the year after Dating the Enemy, so I reckon that that must have been what got him this role. Because <laughs> <laughs> he—he and Russell Crowe were cast before Kevin
0: Spacey. At one point, like the studio, I think was saying to Curtis Hanson, "So you're doing a period piece in LA? Any chance of an
1: American being in this film?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah because kevin spacey is like he's the big name in the film
0: i mean he was he's not long off the oscar for usual suspects but really he's still like a character actor who won an oscar at this point he's not a movie star i wouldn't say really until like this and american beauty kim basinger is the
1: name well that's true that's true and danny DeVito. <laughs> Can you, can you imagine, think back to 97 and imagine a world where Danny DeVito is the draw card on a
0: movie. I mean, you only need to look at the poster for this film. It's like Kim Basinger is genuinely four times the size of everybody else. Well, and in real
1: life, four times the size of Danny DeVito. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. So you've obviously seen this film before. Couple of times, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've also seen it before. This was one of my dad's favourites. In fact, this was one of his favourite books. So, and he was quite happy with the adaptation. I haven't read the book. Have you? I have not. I had no idea till I read Wikipedia just then that this was part of a series, and this is the third book. It seems strange to dive into the third in a series, right? If you're adapting for film,
0: I suppose it is a bit. what uh, I mean, Russell Crowe would do it again with Master and Commander, which was like book. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from <laughs> yeah, that series. It's like book seven or twelve or something. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think there's over twenty of those books. There's, so, a lot.
0: Yeah. there's a lot. Um
1: Stellar cast though, isn't it? I think this has to be one of the best like put-together ensemble casts. And it really is an ensemble. Like I don't who would you say is the lead in the film? Would you say it's Pierce?
0: Yeah, ultimately I think Exley. If, if it's anyone's film, it's Exley's.
1: It is a it is a good ensemble though, and a really well put together cast, and as you say, interesting that so many kind of no names in it. But really, like, how young does Rusty look in this? He was quite young, I suppose, um, coming off. I mean,
0: people—some people would have known Crow from Romper Stomper at this point. Which, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it was kind of American History X before American History X. Again, yes, Russell Crowe—not a name. Also, the name, though, like, I mean, he sounds like he's named after a beer. <laughs> I gotta say- I love the names in this film. Ed, like, Edmund Exley, great name. Bud White, great name. I don't know. As you said, it's such a great ensemble, but not just like, all right, we're going to grab that star and that star and that star, and it kind of can't help but work, Ocean's Eleven style. Yes. Like, this was- they were rolling the dice with this cast. Yeah, Absolutely. A great thing Guy Pearce does in the film, though, is just not afraid to play a dick. Like, it's one thing when a, an established star does that and they've already kind of got this likeable thing to fall back on or, or, or you know, already got a persona to fall back on. As we said, we didn't, like, we didn't know who Guy Pearce was. Yeah. And up he pops and he's just, he's got, us as handsome as he is, he's got a smarmy, punchable face. Yeah. And he says things, you know, he says to... Bud White at one point speaking about his dead partner. Hell of a way to avoid a prison sentence. Like, yeah, yeah. granted the guy that's dead was a dick, but that is a
1: dick move, actually. And that's the thing about Guy Pearce. It's a great bit of casting, not just because he's insanely handsome and a great actor, but the character is, like you say, it's its he's a really smarmy guy and he's able to pull that off to such a great way in this film. Because... There's almost no one that you really root for in this film. Like, do you feel the same way? That there's no one that you're really like, yeah, I'm on your side here? There's certainly no one who you're with for
0: 100% of the runtime. Because Ed, even when Ed's doing the right thing, we know that a a big part of that is completely self-serving. Bud White, when he's doing what he thinks is the right thing, sometimes he goes about it in highly questionable and highly violent (laughs) ways. Yep. And then really everyone else is a (laughs) shitbag.
1: Okay, here's a question though. Who is the biggest shitbag in the film and who is the least shitbag? Well, Lynn is the least shitbag. Yep. Um, The biggest
0: shitbag in the film? Dudley's the obvious answer, but it seems just too obvious. Yeah, not allowed to. (laughs) We're we're taking out the farmer from Babe. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I spent the whole movie going, that'll do, pig. (laughs) That'll do, bud. That'll do. That'll do. Um, I went
0: Scottish instead of Irish there.
1: Yeah, yeah, you done goofed (laughs) up.
0: Um, Biggest shit bag. Okay, biggest shit bag. I will go... um, I'll go go Stens.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's a a no good.
0: (laughs) Don't like Stens.
1: (laughs) So one of my favourite things about this movie... Is the choice that it makes in its direction and everything. It takes you so long to even click, I think, that this is a period piece. Would we say that? I would. I think it's such a smart choice. Like, it doesn't play on nostalgia. Let's put it that way. This isn't like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where it just rams the time into your face. This movie... I think it takes a a more clever approach in the way it does it in that while obviously it it is a period piece, it doesn't play on nostalgia at all. I don't think it like, which is something that movies set in the fifties in Hollywood. That's kind of just what they do. This, I don't feel like it does. It's shot in a very contemporary fashion. I don't think the production design is really like in your face. Oh, Hey, fifties Hollywood golden age. It's, it's, I think it's in it makes it more timeless I think. Like watching this the other night, I was shocked at how current it still felt as a noir. It's very contemporary, I think. I'm
0: just so in love with the direction of this film. It's the thing that came to mind when I was thinking about how I if how I would describe it to somebody is that it's very formally shot. You remember how when in the in the remake of Suspiria Godardino decided to shoot it with only with kit that would have been available at the time that it was shot and likewise with this film there's nothing flashy about the direction and if you wanted to lay out the shots for a film being made in the 50s you could have made this film um I just yeah I find it a it just this is just a a pure personal taste sort of thing I just find it a very appealing
1: way of Directing. So you, you like, for example, the lack of movement in the camera and stuff like that?
0: Well, I actually really like the movement that is in the camera. The camera moves a lot in the film, but it just in no way draws attention to itself. It's just the little things like when early on in the film, when Bud's come out of the grog shop and he sees the woman in the car with the bandages on her nose and the camera just tracks left to right And sort of just further exposes her face through the window frame as Bud's looking at it. And it's it's just a really subtle move. But it just helps the audience tap in to what Bud is going through at that point in time. Do you like, here we go. Just so we're not just so this isn't just total blowing smoke up this film's ass for the entire thing. Do you like the intro to the film? The voiceover with the Danny DeVito doing the kind of commercial. Thing and it like it it gets across a lot of information about the drug dealers and Mickey and that kind of stuff.
1: But do you think it's good? I actually do <laughs> to keep blowing smoke <laughs> up the film I know, you, I know you're hoping for a different response. Um, yeah, I actually do. I it actually reminded me a little bit of a, another film we watched recently, No Country for Old Men, which starts obviously with the voiceover from Tommy Lee Jones i liked that we get straight into it it's smart in the way that i think that voiceover is as you said it gets a lot of information across but it doesn't feel like straight up exposition to me i feel like it's written a little bit smarter than that and as we discussed with tommy lee jones opening monologue i feel like it's written very much in character and danny devito's performance of those lines is really good um that i do think that's a really nice introduction to the film i think you disagree
0: I think I agree with you. DeVito's good. I think the style of it is
1: good. Um,
0: I just, I'm completely unconvinced that I need it.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong too. Much like um, No Country for Old Men, that is the only voiceover we get in this film, isn't it?
0: Yes, it would be.
1: Yeah. So I do, I do see what it is maybe a bit of a strange choice then to, to dive straight in with that and then, and then never follow it up with anything else.
0: I don't hate it. It's just, like, compared to, the like, the rest of the film for me is so, so good that anything that I don't think is, like, absolutely amazing, I'm like, you get the hell out! <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, Can we talk score for a second? I know that you don't often notice score. Did you notice the score in this film? Fucking love the score in this film. Great score. It's so, so good. I love that to me is where it really does kind of play on the nostalgia of the time and and makes it feel really like a noir film. It's the saxophone. and It almost reminded me of Taxi Driver. Um, I just think it's so good.
0: Um, I'd go so far as to say that it was the best score of
1: 1997.
0: (laughs) Did it win? No, it did not win. (laughs) No, there was a big gravitational pull. From the Titanic sucking in Oscars from all
1: directions. Of course. Yes, this was Titanic year, which smashed everything. Sadly, it was. (laughs) I mean, Titanic (laughs) is a better film, though. Well, I disagree with that. You're allowed to disagree. You're allowed to be wrong. We're all allowed to make mistakes, Toph. (laughs) Sure. Luckily, the Oscars didn't make any mistakes in
0: 1998.
1: Would we say that? I do remember Billy Crystal hosted that year. It was a a good Oscars.
0: Ah. Yes. In his little opening song thing about LA Confidential uh, with the lyrics, you could be the iceberg tonight. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I feel like I could remember almost that entire opening monologue. Almost. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly. (laughs) Mostly. Big Billy Crystal fan. I did rewatch City Slickers last night, which, as I've told you, is one of the best films of the 90s.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This, you know what, inter- like, LA Confidential has, I think, more genuinely funny moments in it than most films that present themselves as a comedy. Like, for instance, the the scene with Lana Turner, which is just fucking priceless. There is, honest to God, no reason for that scene to be in the film. If, if, if it's not for the absolute hilarity of that moment, I don't think there's any way that scene survives the cut. But it's just too good to not
1: have there. No, I'll agree there are some genuinely funny moments and I think I think it's easy to, when you watch a film like this, which is basically a straight up drama, it's easy to forget how funny some of these people can be. Like, again, I, I hate to keep bringing it up, but Dating the Enemy from only the year prior, Guy Pearce is hysterical in that film. <laughs> I- <laughs> Watch,
0: you just, I you know you just you're like you're currently just living in the Dating the Enemy hive, and I love it.
1: I'll be living in it until I can watch the film. I, I bought the film off iTunes recently because I couldn't find my VHS copy, and I watched the first 10 minutes. It was so hard to stop watching, but I had to because I promised Beth that I would watch it with her, and so it took so much strength to press stop. I tried like five times before I finally did. Can I uh, can I revisit a previous
0: question you asked me? Sure, go for about, it. About like who's the worst person in the film? Yep. Danny DeVito's character refers to himself at one point as the Sidster, and I think it's clear <coughs> that he gave himself the nickname <laughs> <laughs> which as we know
1: you're not allowed to do. I feel like this is coming around to a dig at me. <laughs> what, how, how do you figure? With the B dizzle is a great nickname that oh. many people use now. Do they? Did I start it myself? Sure. Did it take off? And it's now out of my control. I, I, I don't enforce the B-Dizzle on people.
0: People just use it now. Very glad to hear that you did not enforce the B-Dizzle on people. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yes, yeah, Sid is the worst.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, I quite like Sid, actually. I think he's better than a lot of the cops in the film. Sure. <laughs> the film, uh, and, and okay, here's another great thing
0: about the film. Um... I like how just the way that, and it's very upfront about it, the way that it just depicts all these cops. Like you think about the farmer from Babe in the scene where where Bud White is refusing to rat on fellow officers and he doesn't say anything during his kind of testimony, if you like, but he just, he's just in the corner nodding his approval of this, what he would absolutely consider the honourable thing to do, this code of silence. And then when Exley gets up and does notionally the right thing again farmer babe doesn't say a thing but you can tell that he's absolutely filthy with what exley's doing
1: yeah i gotta say i think james cromwell might be the worst actor in the film jesus yeah i'm not here for farmer babe in this film noted character actor james cromwell yeah he's not on board look i like him as the farmer i don't like him as the police detective I just don't buy him, I think. Okay, well, I'm still here for the Cromwell. Former, former President Cromwell
0: in um, Season 6 of The West Wing. Season 6 or 7? I haven't got to Season 6. It's 6 or 7.
1: I stopped halfway through Season 4 because that's when you got a girlfriend and stopped coming around.
0: <laughs> I regret that decision. <laughs> <laughs> West, West Wing Wednesdays were one of the joys of my life.
1: Yeah, wing, wing West Week Wednesdays with the wall. They, they were the best. <laughs> <laughs> do you
0: reckon anyone ever had a moment where they were like, is, is this weird that a year after Kaiser Soze, we've got Rolo Tomasi involving the same actor? Did
1: anyone find that weird, do you think? I don't think so. I don't... Th- uh, maybe? I mean, how common are pseudonyms in... Like noir, thriller, gangster films. Pretty common, right? I think as far as names go, though, what do you think is better? Kaiser I was Soze? I say, who would you rather be? Because Rolo Tomasi is pretty damn cool. And I love the fact that Guy Pearce just made that up as a kid. To give him a bit of personality. Yeah. That's a cool um, backstory for a nickname.
0: Like Kaiser Soze, I think, is the better name, but it's just like so outrageously awesome. Like it's barely, it's not a name. It's not a name. It's way too cool to be an actual name. It's like, if I become a gangster and just dub myself Duke Hammer (laughs) Time. It's ridiculous. But awesome.
1: (laughs) So is that where, that's where your head went as far as cool names? You went straight to Duke Hammer Time. Duke Hammer Time. I always thought, I went to school with a chick whose last name was Thorncraft, and I always thought that was the coolest name I'd ever heard. It's a great name. Where does that come from? Like, obviously, I mean, anyone called Smith
0: probably at some point it was either blacksmith, silversmith, whatever smith they were, and then they were no longer that. So it's just like, I'll oh, just keep the smith. And yeah. There's a lot of smiths. You've got, you know, you've got your Thatchers, you've got your Bowmans, you've got these things that are very identifiable. Um, Thorncraft, what were they doing? Crafting thorns. <laughs> Who does
1: that? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you where it came from. Is it just a badass name for a florist? <laughs> uh, actually, like old maid in the town,
0: just like getting rid of the thorns from the roses before he fucking murders people. <laughs> <laughs> he probably refers to himself as Thorncraft, not a florist. He, okay, look, here's, here's another here's another nitpick that I've mm-hmm. got with this
1: this film. I'm going to drag it down to our level. Um, okay, and this is is this nitpick? Is this what costs it from being a ten? Uh, we'll find out. Okay. Bud White is dead. I'm sorry. He got shot to shit. Absolutely, absolutely. He's dead. I had actually forgotten that ending and re-watching it this time. Absolutely. Both my wife and I were like, that is some bullshit. It's <laughs> like, ridiculous. Like, just have him be shot in the shoulder. Like, just come on. Yeah, He's dead. That's just not, that's not cricket. Yeah, come on. You don't come back from that. Turn it up, film. I don't think I... I don't think I would survive after being shot in the foot, honestly. like Maybe not. I'm very out of shape. Being shot in the foot might be enough to end me. A car ran over my foot once. Really? And you lived to tell the tale, mate. I
0: was like 11 years old. Were you wearing shoes? Got out of my friend's mum's car and I just closed the one of the back doors and she took off and my foot was still there. Wow. Were you wearing shoes, though? I was wearing shoes. Did did you break any bones or was it- Nah, man, I walked away. Wow. I was a fucking Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> Do you reckon Hugh Jackman was ever in the running for Edmund Xley? A pre-X-Men Hugh Jackman. He was probably doing Oklahoma
1: at the time. On stage, you mean? Yeah. What was his first breakout film role? It, I mean, I know that X-Men was what made him like a household name. That's but- the breakout, yeah. But, I mean, does does he have a dating the enemy, if you will? Did he really just go straight into Wolverine? Like, really, he was a theatre guy before Wolverine. Mm.
0: My older sister knew who he was because she's a mad theatre geek. That's the only reason I knew who he was, because I lived in the same house as someone who was like, this Australian guy is playing, who's the Oklahoma person? Curly, is that his name?
1: (laughs) I actually think you're not far off there. Oklahoma, where the wind goes rushing through the plains. I only know that from Twister. <laughs> really? I've, I've seen Oklahoma a few times. I think his name is Curly. Oh, the farmer and the cowman should be friends. <laughs> one man likes to milk a cow. The other likes to push a plow. The calmer. Fuck. <laughs> Does he like to push a plow? No one likes to push a plow. No. Nobody likes to push a plow. I call bullshit. We're getting very off track. We are a bit. This will okay. all be cut.
0: All right, back to back to LA Confidential. Um, what's your take on what's stronger? Because at rough, the film's like what two hours twenty ish. So after an hour, the case is closed, and we're only halfway through the film. Then, the, so the first half of the film, which really is a more of a police procedural, mm-hmm. is just some ridiculously watchable shit. And then the second half of the film which really is what the film is about where the characters have to question both themselves and their actions. Do you like
1: one half more than the other? Um, Not really. To me it flows really well. I don't, I don't really think of it as as two halves much in the same way. I I didn't feel like the case was closed. I loved the way that it kept evolving and twisting like almost you know and you can see where a movie like the big lebowski gets its its ideas and it's kind of noirness from because it kind of just takes this to the next level where it's like okay then this happens then this then this and just goes kind of explosive with that that concept but i like the way that this just keeps slowly evolving throughout the two hours of the film and you gradually kind of find out these extra things like and and some of them feel like red herrings at the time and you don't realize until later what's actually going on like when rusty finds the body in the the basement or the whatever it is and at first you're kind of like well hold up hold the phone and then you kind of slowly find out what's actually going on so i don't really think of the film as two halves as much as you do i'm guessing you have an answer to the question though
0: this last watch was the first time that it Felt It would be an exaggeration to say that it feels like two halves, but it felt more distinct for me on this last watch between that first point where they have think they've solved the case and then from the one hour mark onwards. And I probably find the first half of the film more watchable, like casually, like if I was flicking channels and a part of the first half of the film came on, I'd be like, yes, I'm in. I need to keep watching. Um, But then ultimately, like, the second half of the film is really what the film is about and is one of the reasons why it stands up so well is because it's not just a really good procedural
1: on that level. Um, It's also a really fucking great character study. Yeah. And that, that to me, is really what makes it work, is the characters. I think of this much more as a movie of character than I do... Anything else, you know, and they are all so well established so early on. This does a a really great job of skipping the exposition, I think. I don't think it kind of really spoon feeds you a lot, but you instantly know who these people are. The very first time you meet Exley and you see kind of the choices that he makes You know, in that opening scene where the other cops go in and and start bashing the prisoners and he's there and he's so ready to rat them out instantly. And you understand his motivation wholly. Like, you don't sit there thinking, wow, that guy's a dick. But you don't sit there thinking, wow, that guy's a really good guy. You just, that's what I love most about this film is that all of these characters, you instantly understand who they are, why they are. And they're really well-rounded pretty quickly, I think
0: that's right. Like, Bud, you know, has this saviour complex as well yeah. as being a bit of a barbarian. Just from, yeah. you see, like, two scenes with the guy. And you're like, yep, know who this is. Yeah. Um, Jack Vincennes. I mean, it takes whole seconds, I think, until you're like, yep, I know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And you're a sleazy, creepy fucker. And it must have been a real stretch. But-
1: <laughs> With Kevin Spacey. I know. Where did he get his motivation? How did he? How did he figure out how to play that? Incredible, <laughs> incredible stuff. I used to think the guy was a really, really, really great actor, but he kind of plays this role a lot. I think. I think a lot of his characters have this kind of twist to them. One of my favourite performances of his is. I mean, not that we should talk at length about Kevin Spacey in the current climate, but have you seen Life of David Gale? No, I haven't great movie great performance by it's him and Kate Winslet she plays a a journalist and he's a man on on death's row from memory and she's trying to prove that he's innocent before he's um given the death penalty (laughs) (laughs) given the death penalty well yeah like how will you be taking the death penalty (laughs) sir anyway really really good movie you should check it out i remember you telling me that once and i looked it up and i had a critic score of like 30 and i was like yeah pass fuck fuck that you (laughs) critic scores mean nothing. this is this is a fun story my daughter um has to because you know she she watches a lot of movies especially at the moment we're all kind of locked down the other day (laughs) if we went to watch a movie with her and she was like no i don't i don't want to watch this one and we were like why and she was like it's got sad popcorn because it comes up with the rotten tomato score, and it's got the little popcorn bucket tipped over on its side. Which is like, it's, it's got it's got sad popcorn. That means it's not good. <laughs> That's sensational. So then I had to explain to her that kids' movies will usually have sad popcorn, because most of them Hmm. aren't very good. But this one's probably fine.
0: You should tell her that on Tomatoes doesn't mean anything, and you should ignore it.
1: It's so funny. She's still really into it. The other day, she watched the Emoji movie, and she was like, it was really good. Even, you know, it had sad popcorn, but it was really good. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Emoji movie. (laughs) Jesus. Sounds like we both- like this movie a lot. We've seen it many times. How are you scoring
0: it? So I'm a 9 out of 10. Um, it's a sensational film that's just, I think, a hair away from being the masterpiece that would make me give it a 10. It's It's hugely watchable. The performances are, across the board, sensational. And it's just a really great take on the hero. And, in fact, a lot of the film is about the deconstruction of the hero. Like our our man, Ed Exley, at the end of the film, shoots someone in the back mm. as just like the exclamation mark on just tearing down our notions about, about these people. Um, and it's just shit hot. It should have won a lot of Oscars. It should have won a lot more if than it, was it did. A, if it was a different it should have year, won, It should have won Best Picture. It should have won Best Director. And I could go on. It's like I, I genuinely think it's in the conversation for film of the nineties. It doesn't it doesn't win that conversation for me, but it's in the conversation.
1: I'm I'm also a nine. Um I think it's as I said, an exceptional film. I think like you said, it's amazing how much fun this movie is, given its its content, um, which to me is It can be tricky to pull off, and I think it's done really well here. I think the acting, one of the best ensemble casts ever. And I agree with you. I love the kind of the themes and the way that it breaks down. Not just heroism, but also I think masculinity. I think to an extent, this film is a really great commentary on. Nine out of ten.
0: Always a pleasure to watch LA Confidential. What are we getting to next week, buddy? Next week, we wanted to do something a a bit more fun. Yeah, I pushed hard. I pushed hard for dating the enemy. <laughs> Something you can wrap your laughing gear around. Yeah. <laughs> in that spirit, we will be staying in the 90s um, and watching Starship Troopers. Was that the same year? Is it 97? It is. It's 97. Yeah, I, think it, I think it was. There you go. Staying in 97.
1: In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or Thing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at we watch the thing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash thing, and tell us something we should watch. And In the meantime, we'll catch you next week.
0: So, so Titanic was, at best, the third best film of 97. Why? Just what else what was it? we in- talked
1: about. What else because was El
0: Confidential and Starship Troopers. <laughs>
1: Titanic is better than Starship Troopers. Fuck off! It is absolutely no fucking way. Absolutely, it is. Can we, it I know? I know, I know that we already did Titanic, but can we do Titanic again?
0: Absolutely not. I'm never watching that fucking film again. Can't we do it for like
1: our 200th? No. Why would I watch that film again? Because it's incredible. It's bog average. Now come over and watch it in my theater. It'll be great. No, it won't be. <laughs> it will be. It's a great movie. No, it's not. It's an okay movie. It's better than okay. I think no, in the end, it's you. Not. I think you gave it a seven, didn't you? I gave it a five because it's just like dead okay. That's harsh. It's not harsh. <laughs> it's, it's like 40 minutes of that film that's good. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs>